0: Welcome to this episode. My name is Simba. This is Meet Me at the Top. Today we are speaking with Mr. Mandla Madi. Mr. Mandla Madi has over 25 years' working experience. He worked as a systems analyst at Adcock Ingram and then applications manager at Ricketts and Corman. He joined Anderson Consulting, now Accenture, as a manager in the process practice. He holds an MBL from UNISA and a business computing degree from Rhodes University. He is a MCIP qualified professional. His company Biadular Services is a hundred percent black-owned consulting firm. So welcome, Mr. Madi. I would say if maybe the first question to you would be how you started and uh, where you are so far in your career. Thank you. Thank you,
1: Mr. Msonza. And thank you for the invitation here. Yeah, my my name is Mandla Madi. I don't know where to start with regards to my career, but I graduated with a BSc in mathematics and, and computer science at Rhodes University. I later then studied a master's in business leadership with the business school at UNISA and and did the CEPIX qualification back then. I think I was the first candidate to do the online test at CEPIX for the production and inventory control qualifications. That's really when the supply chain interest got into me. I've always been in the computer side of things, supporting a number of functions, started with finance, and ended up supporting production planning together with inventory as well as supply chain and other components to it. So yeah, in a nutshell, I started in the IT space and eventually supported inventory, inbound and outbound logistics as well as supply chain. So never been really operational as a supply chain person but have always supported and later consulted in the area. This is when I joined the the consulting field. And later, I then um, branched out on my own, together with a group of other aspiring consultants to form our own company. So I have been working for myself for the past 25 years. I think I'll pause there, Um,
0: That is moving from the different um, fields which you you have been. Which part of your career did you enjoy most?
1: Of course, when I joined Anderson Consulting, I I had to belong to a competency. So I belonged to a competency called processes. But in that competency, you had supply chain housed there as well. So a combination of supply chain and technology was really something that attracted my attention as a career that one could follow. To this day, the company that I run with with a couple of my colleagues focuses on procurement as well as procurement and supply technology. We are a partner of SAP, and we we implement procurement-based solutions, whether um, online or on-premise or cloud-based.
0: Do you have points that you say this has changed so much from when we started?
1: Oh yeah, most definitely. I mean, technology has been a, a caterpillar of innovation in the space of procurement and supply. I remember back in the days when the RFID technology was introduced in South Africa in particular, and I was involved in a huge project to automate a, a warehouse of a a pharmaceutical company so those technologies still exist but in different forms and uh, you have technology that is agile now that is able to meet certain demands that you would not have been able to do back then I did say to you that I was and I'm I'm talking here under correction that I was the first student of say to write the, the exams online and you got the results almost immediately so you can see how technology has transcended And this is the exams that are set in America. So to to that end, yeah, technology has basically changed the way we do things.
0: Do you have a mentor? Do you have someone who has a constant support? Not to
1: be specific on any person, but I have worked with quite competent colleagues. I still have my fellow directors in the company that we run are, are an inspiration to me they are younger far younger than i am and they have so much energy that that reminds me of my early days so they are an inspiration right now but i have worked with quite a lot of very competent and people who really bring out inspiration and and yeah in a way you did look up to them from the early days of my career in IT. But really to single out one person, I think it would be difficult for me to do
0: <laughs> Yeah, as a person who has evolved oh. to, mm-hmm. to a mastery. Are you mentoring anyone? Yes, I think i mentored
1: quite a lot of people.
0: Yeah, perhaps when
1: I'm thinking back on the previous question you asked me, we had an, a CEO at Anderson Consulting. I just, I think his surname his was was Ahen. He was inspirational in a way that, that I got to know of it later on in my career. But he used to write um, weekly sort of notes that, that was received by all Anderson Consulting employees around the world. And I mean, the way that he spoke about the the company values and how he used the company values to inspire really was inspirational to me. And I think if there, there is one person to single out, that would be Shahen.
0: The objectives of this podcast is to give an opportunity to hear from the brightest stars in a, in, in a way that is accessible because to get a mentor it can be quite a difficult thing time is a factor so we are very happy to to have you here and you can already know that you have uh, you're going to mentor thousands and thousands of people by just listening to this uh, podcast when we look at the current industry where we are what are the challenges that you are seeing yeah? So I, I think invariably, if you look
1: at manufacturing as an industry, I mean you would be producing a product um, that is probably made of a number of material or, or, or inputs, some of which would be coming internationally from. So your cost structure in the country is always is always a key thing to look at. We, we have a very active labor organizations in this country as well. Um, rightfully so to fight for the rights of workers and, and ensuring that workers are not expo- exploited in the process. But I, I think there, there are pressures from time to time of costs. If you then sourcing products from overseas, we are a country that is situated, I think at the, we do have sea and, and we can fly things out, but we're really out in the cold if you like. So the position where we tend to get our costs up a little bit compared to other places. I mean, if you take the airline business, for example, you know, airlines that thrive are airlines that can fly fr- flights into some central place and then use smaller flights to then distribute like Emirates is doing. So. The the positioning of Emirates is quite key to their competitive advantage, for example. And companies like SAA struggle a bit because of the position where we are. There are, of course, relationships that get established in that industry, but still it doesn't give you the competitive um, advantage that other airlines would have. That's just an example. I've spoken about the cost structure here, the labor organizations that are rightfully active in this country. Funding is is also a problem a little bit if you want, want, want expansions. I think we've got good financial institutions, but as a small company, we have experienced quite huge barriers when we try to access some of the funding to expand.
0: You focus quite a lot on uh, being customer-centric and customer-focused. What has been your experience? And maybe let's start off by just understanding what is a customer-centered supply chain? What what does it look like? Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, I think a lot of people are talking now from supply chain to value chain, right? And, And really how you define the value chain is to assemble your internal resources based on the on, or responding um, um, to customer needs. So that's the difference. So you're still using all the concepts of supply chain, but you bring all those resources in such a way that they support a, 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 a demand-focused or demand-customer focus, if you like. So you pull together all the engines within the company and direct all of that. To satisfy the, the the customer needs, and and I can touch on how supply chain get involved in this later on.
0: Influence and uh, leadership they go hand in hand, and the CPO be trying to shape how they are viewed by the internal customers and push that agenda for uh, becoming more customer focused. So now the the challenge then falls to the CPO how do they get to influence um, competing demands of course the organization might establish that we want to be focused on uh, the customers but there are other uh imperatives which are driving the other departments finance marketing so how do we get to that level of how do you influence in in many ways
1: and i think this topic is gonna take a bit of time to just explain a couple of concepts and how i see it and and how i've experienced it as well so for starters i'm an advocate of supply chain being uplifted in an organization to a position that reports to the ceo ceo in other words for a a longest of time cpos reported either depending on the organization either on the on the financial director or an operations director depending on what is stronger perhaps if it's logistics that's stronger then the supply chain part of it the, the the logistics part of it then reports to operations and then the procurement side of it reports to finance so uh, I think an ideal situation for me, especially where the spends is huge, I'm talking about huge companies here, you have to have a, a position of head of supply chain that reports directly to, to, to the CEO. That That's the first thing. And then you can do the other things that I'm going to talk to now. So you use the traditional tools of procurement um, or, and, and supply to promote a number of innovation that assist in promoting a culture that is customer focused and I'm going to mention three tools perhaps that you could look at and look inside them deeply to understand some of the things that you can within procurement and, and supply. The three tools that I'm going to focus on including category strategy playbooks, developing those and, and what goes on as you do that kind of stuff. I'm going to talk slightly about the demand focused that you need to and and if you like it, it I see it as, again, as procurement and supply to use, to focus demand, which is really driven from the the customer side to come with a demand plan that then drive all the resources within the company to focus on the customer. And the last tool is, is of course, supplier relationship management. If you look at those three tools, perhaps starting with the demand focus, which is the easier one, you use all the different techniques that are there to focus properly what the needs are of the customers. And once you come out of that process, and you could be doing a focus on all major strategic products that, that you sell to your customers, understanding properly the customer needs, using extensively the the, the, the techniques, the focusing techniques to ensure that your your focus is pre- pretty much accurate all the time. And, and there's quite a, a lot of work that goes into doing that. Coming out of that process would be your demand plan. This is the plan that says, this is what your customers need. Uh, uh, and then we use that plan to then plan all the resources, including the supply chain resources to gear up to meeting those demands. So that plan would say for product A, the, the, this is the kind of demand. So we plan everything else inside the organization to meet up with that plan. So let me leave that tool right there and I will connect the, the dots later on. Then there's category strategy playbooks that you have to do on the products and, and, and on the products that you're sourcing from your suppliers. And there are four key areas that you look at when you develop category strategy playbooks. And that include looking at the whole category profile where you do, you know, you take a deep dive on the spend analysis to understand how the profile of this category looks like. Of course, things like your total cost of ownership would be important, areas that you look at, main cost segments would be important, things that you look at within the category profile element of the the category strategy playbooks. And then, of course, business requirements would also be key to understand, as well as the second area of, of, of the playbook that you look at, where you define and understand exactly the critical demand needs from the business users. Because it's the business users that drive this, and the people that looks after the customers are also those business users that require our, our attention as procurement and supply people. And then, of course, it's the understanding of the supply market analysis. I know that quite a lot of people don't do this, and they don't do it properly. And it's an important part and important tool that we have in procurement and supply. That if leveraged correctly, there's quite a lot of things that you can unlock. Not only understanding the market trends, the regulations that governs that particular category, but you start talking to areas of product advancements. You start understanding how the products that try to procure are advancing the technologies that are involved in there, understanding the, the changes in the competitive landscape. Of course, using other tools to, to understand that competitive landscape, like Potter's Five Forces, especially substitute goods. There's a story I often tell about GE, um, General Electric, under Jack Welsh, those many years ago, where certain product lines were changed because of intervention of procurement people, because they understood that in the products that they are sourcing, that promotes the end product in the end, or material that we, we, we are buying that promotes the end product in the end, could shape what becomes the future. But then product advancements and technologies that drive that product is quite important. So with GE, for example, you, if you remember we used to have, were substituted by material that is equally durable but easy to handle, light, in weight and so on. All that innovation came as a result of the procurement and supply people. So using the supply market analysis in particular, product advancement and and technologies around that can can catapult an organization and change the product line that is sold to the customers based on the input coming from the procurement people. I'm beginning to map those dots back to the value chain. So if you look at the fourth element of the category strategy playbook sourcing levers that you have and according to the AT Kearney, you've got 64 of those levers that you can use to promote different things whether it's cutting costs whether you benchmarking prices or products and so on but those give you insights that are special in changing the products that we sell to our clients if used very cleverly. One of those levers is called intervention on demand so it talks again about in, in, in inventions. And if you use that lever correctly and innovatively, you can be able to change certain product lines that goes to your clients if you use them. And one day when we have plenty of time, I can get the specificities of of those. That tool, of course, is supply relationship management. As you know, it is always a tool that you use to get closer to your strategic suppliers. The benefits of supply chain of supplier relationship management will include, if used properly, security of supply. Use it to, to make sure that if critical for my business, you want to ensure that there is security of supply. And you can do that by creating relationships that are, are long-term and mutually beneficial with the supplier that you're using at the time or the suppliers that you're using at the time. It's an important part. If you develop those kinds of relationships, you do more than just security of supply. Because the second area within supply relationship or the the key benefit that you get out of that is innovation, where key supplier relationship partnerships to allow for preferential access to supply-driven-driven innovation becomes the norm relationship where we can share ideas, we can share innovation and technologies that are driving your different product lines as a supplier, which can give enormous insights into our own product lines or products that we sell to our own customers. And I've given you an example of GE where they actually change the product line to something that is cheaper, equally durable flexible to transport. Total cost advantage is another benefit of supply relationship management and sustainability, of course. So um, these are tools that I use within procurement and supply, right? I've just pulled out key um, areas in these tools that focus on innovation, Technology that can be used to change either either the material that we source into our production line to produce different and similar and yet more innovative products that yeah. we sell to
0: our clients. And so how do you go about measuring performance when we are when we are going to a customer-focused uh, approach for procurement because. On a normal day, we are focused on the CFO, that's the boss at the top. So we are looking at cost. So performance is measured in that way. But what sort of measures uh, or indicators should we be using to display or to demonstrate our success as procurement? Uh,
1: Yeah, it's a good question. I think KPIs, we're moving away from silo-based KPIs, because if they are silo, they they will promote a culture of silo, moving more to a process-driven KPIs that cut across departments that, that are overseen by different heads of different departments. So you structure your KPIs such that they don't focus on on only from a procurement standpoint, but the amount of innovation, in my view, in this value um, chain-driven supply chain, it should definitely be the amount of innovation that you bring that promotes the product line that we ultimately sell to our customers. So KPI certainly has got to change in the, in the way that performance for procurement and supply, you know, people have been traditional to a more, you know, this is a value chain. So it would be difficult to measure accurately a value chain using silos because by its implication, there's integration that happens. There are more people from diverse departments that are involved in ensuring the chain itself works and it's intact
0: all the time. With that in mind, what do you recommend in terms of procurement, recognizing and celebrating the successes that we would have had because we are going to be dealing with many people to achieve that value. But success to some extent belongs to a particular user group or, or particular entity within the, the broader company.
1: Yeah, just imagine a, as a category manager and using the tools that I exposed to my work and take supply relationship management. I use that area of innovation well to understand the stuff that our supplier, remember our supplier be supplying us with a valve that has got new technology now that can change our actual product that we sell eventually because you can suddenly put a lot of code in this valve, and this valve can do a lot a lot more than the valve currently here. So for me, the, the, uh, celebrating the innovation that come as a result of procurement and supply would, would be that kind of celebration that you're talking about here. That would be an achievement that is clearly brought from a procurement and supply into this value chain that is important um, to all of us. I mean, gone are the days where the procurement head or the CPO only sees not beyond the costs. The CPO needs to, to, to know and have deep understanding of the products that we sell to our customers. So that when when we go back to look at the tail end of this value chain, we can innovate, knowing well that 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 innovation will move up the value chain and and be experienced by our our customers.
0: Look at Africa in general and South Africa in particular. Are we ready for this kind of a shift? Yes and
1: no. There's lots of cutting-edge technologies now. You know, if, if we're serious to build th- this cadre of innovative procurement and supply professionals, th- there's quite a lot that we, we don't have to go back and, and implement all technologies. We have in our disposal technologies that just can catapult us to heights that we, we've never imagined. If, if we pull all our resources and we pull them correctly. So that's the opportunity we have. We don't have to, to start from the beginning and use the old, the old ways of doing things. There, there's quite a lot of new things driven by very cutting edge technologies. We're seeing some of that happening in areas like, like Kenya now. South Africa and the financial institutions are big users of technologies and that they're transforming the world in doing this. You, using our comparative advantage, understanding very well what they are, can change a lot of things. I mean, if you look at energy, we, we're still using old kinds of technology, but we, we have all the ingredients and inputs of cutting edge current technologies like solar wind, and and all those renewable energies that we have not thought about. But they they are here, they are in abundance in Africa. Why not use it and catapult Africa into something that is totally different? But we need to pull all those resources
0: in a very constructive way to get there. That is very pragmatic. Let's look at another element within this overall topic, uh, so to speak. What sort of people would you look to find um to deliver some form of customer-led supply chain
1: maybe let me start by saying there are no shortcuts to knowledge you need to build it and you need to be bold in building the knowledge um, that, that you require to do all this. that knowledge you acquire through education that you get professional training that gets done by professional organizations like sips for which you are an esteemed member and of course take all the knowledge that you get taught in there, put it into practice. It has worked some somewhere else to the extent that you could leverage on that knowledge to the things that needs to be done would be important. Analytic skills are quite critical in doing this kind of work. The business acumen is an absolute key to understand the connect between customers and the resources you have within the, the organization is quite critical. You, you know, understanding the economics of the different levers in procurement and, and supply, it's a key knowledge for to one to understand. Of course, usage of the different tools that we get exposed to, use it properly, be consistent in using them, would be the kind of skill that you need to do this kind of work. Yeah, I've seen, if, if your question is, are you looking for a BCom student or a BSc student, I, I, I don't think it, 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 it really matters. For as long as you understand of, of most of the stuff that you'd be doing here would be a valuable uh, resource to have this kind of thing. understanding deeply the tools is quite something that you you want to have because you need to know when you're doing price benchmark, for example, why you're doing price benchmark, how do you do price benchmark, when do you call it a benchmark. Those are some of the examples. But a, a team is a diverse team. I've worked with economy. Economists, I've worked worked with financial guys, I've worked with deep procurement people as well, supply chain people. If it's a logistics bound, there's quite a lot of logistics knowledge that you need to bring to the fore. And the technologies, of course, that drive all this is a critical skill you want to have in your team.
0: So even wherever anyone who's listening, a CPO, anyone else, a consultant, how do you then get the best out of uh, the team because in many instances we try to be influential or to do uh, customer-focused strategy we have to deal with people from other departments other companies how do you yourself get the best out of a person or a team member
1: well uh, uh, leadership is almost important and of course coaching and people looking up to you is an important driver i just told you about you know somebody that was very influential in me i've never met mr shahan anywhere in the world i have read his stuff but I, i was always motivated to do The best I can, I can be. Leadership is absolutely important and you need to walk the talk, if you like. Company values are important because although they could be circled and, you know, some people put them on the wall and they, they just get forgotten. But these are tools that you can really use to drive a certain culture within your team or the organization as a whole. So to the extent that you use those levers to motivate and to get people to, commit to things that they are doing, it's an absolute necessity. Obviously, the technical skills and as a leader, you then drive the organization to say, listen, we we are moving this organization from supply chain to and this is how we're going to achieve that. And then you have a plan and and, and that plan then gets communicated widely. Of course, you can't do the value chain thing on your own as, as procurement and supply. It It is a, 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 a value proposition that needs to go higher up at, at the CEO level, so that it, it is a concept that is bought at that level, and it's driven down through the organization.
0: How do you keep up with, with all the technologies? What can we look forward to?
1: So as you well know most of our electricity is still driven by coal or what do you call this fossils and, and and things like that but we know that there are quite a lot of technologies that exist currently that, that can change the the complexion of this country forever we've got pressures of environment we we continue to destroy environment through these fossils and we need to get to a stop to that you know if we can't get to the stop then nature will stop us from from continuing to do that so there's a plateau of technologies that is used in energy now i mentioned a few of them wind solar renewable energy is driven by a lot of technologies that are cutting edge and are changing the world forever whilst reducing the impact that we're having on the environment
0: as a person who has been around and seen a lot of people, mentored a lot of people, what sort of advice would you give someone who's trying to make a pivotal uh, change of career or to upgrade themselves? So what sort of advice would you give to someone who maybe is in the mid management level and now trying to become a bit senior to, to get to be a manager, that kind of thing? What, what advice would you give for people in procurement?
1: So training, training, you never finish to develop and, and to acquire knowledge. There's quite a number of things that you, 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 you can do to upgrade. Volunteer yourself to get into projects that will change the way that you look at things. I'm assuming that you are in a work environment and mo- most work environment initiatives are driven through projects and that's where the learning happens as well. You work with different project managers and leaders who can guide you through the process of growth. You can also opt for formal coaching, you know, people that you look up to who could give you ideas on how you develop further in your career. I have done that with a number of people, young young people who have turned out to be independent and have this quest for knowledge. It should be a, a, a critical driving force in anybody shaping up a career of any sort. So those things are, are, are quite critical to do. Volunteer to do stuff. Working professional. Organizations where you, you interact with peers, people from other organizations, from other industries who can share some of the problems they have and you can talk to them about, about problems as well. You belong to groups that you know that try to solve problems, be it of the region, of the country, or or indeed of the world. There is no better learning than that.
0: Thank you. Uh, very much. So you I, I think you mentioned SAPICS, and I know you are also a member of, of, of SIPs. Is there any other body that been involved in that you have relied on to, to develop uh, professionally?
1: Well, it, do, it doesn't have to be a professional organization. I, I volunteer myself on a number of things. I, I for example, I, I chair a trust that, that looks after about 6,000 orphans of HIV and AIDS in rural Komatipur. It's work that, I, 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 you know, I, I've put myself in to learn and, and, and to experience people and to understand problems that are there and, and assist in solving those problems. Because problem solving is, is a key thing to me. And maybe it's inherent in the mathematics that I've gone through in my earlier years. I'm a board member of of schools and housing colleges and outside in the rural areas. I volunteered myself into into those. And in there, you meet a lot of people with different knowledge and ideas and innovation and and all of that. So uh, knowledge is not a single path is a multitude of paths where you meet different people who influence you one way or the other and in the process you acquire the knowledge that you need as a better that makes you a better person in the future
0: volunteering gives you a chance to test the waters see how you interact with people i've had a chance to interact with you and i was impressed what is your legacy within this industry going to be about it
1: has always been my intention to write at some point because i think i have acquired quite extensive knowledge but that time has not come yet yeah it, it, it is not definitely now but i will start sharing that that the experience i have uh, probably starting with conferences we still have a, a a big job to do the company the small company that that i belong to aspire to be a leading technology procurement company in Africa. So it's a big, big work to do. Hopefully, when we're able to do that, I will have time to sit back and, and write about the experiences. Hopefully, some of it would, would inspire and share to the generation that we are slowly
0: giving the baton to. that would be a a good day for for us perhaps the last question to you with my limited interaction with you i i I see you as a very productive person how you, you use your time so my question is what is your productivity hack how do you produce so much in the limited time that somehow we all should be having equally but We're not not producing as much.
1: Simba, I I don't think there's a silver bullet. I probably will disagree with you. I think I was more productive five years ago than I am now. (laughs) 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 I can solve problems and it doesn't matter what problems are there. To the extent that I can put myself into, into an environment that is trying to solve those problems and i guess the diligence comes with all the experience and time you spend doing things and interacting with people
0: that's very interesting and you've made it simple so i suppose uh, we have to be more passionate about what we are doing and be able to, to then put the, the the right foot forward so thank you so much i think we'll now be closing off uh, on this interview but it will be my wish to have you again on the show maybe on season two thank you so much for coming on to the show and your time and uh your ideas thank you for having me well that's it for today i hope you enjoyed listening to this episode as we did recording it this podcast was created and produced by Simba Msonza. This podcast is a CIPS Houghton Branch presentation, the largest CIPS branch in Sub Sahara Africa. Let's keep in touch and we'll meet at the top.